Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Today we are coming to you from the home of Steve Immerman, an artist who works in the medium of fused glass to create both sculptural and functional pieces of stunning beauty, intense color, intricate and precise design. Uh, We've seen his work for years because he lives in Eau Claire, which is kind of the nearest urban center to where uh, our family home is in Wisconsin, Uh, but we have not met until today. Rebecca and I are both very excited to hear about his process of working with glass and how he has pursued his art career in addition to his profession as a general surgeon. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone, and welcome, Steve. Well, thank you very much. So, um... I'd like to start with just um, explaining a little bit about your process, because I think when most people think of art made with glass, they're thinking of stained glass or they're thinking of blown glass, but your process is is quite different. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this uh, kiln-formed glass? Yes, it's sometimes called fused glass, sometimes kiln glass or kiln-formed glass because it is assembled outside the kiln and then put in the kiln uh, to fuse. And it's usually around 1,500 degrees, and it can go in the kiln multiple times, and you can do it at different temperatures and get different effects. And so it's something that is very... um, it takes a long period of time because each of these kiln cycles can easily take a day or a day and a half. Um, and Ross, I know you've done some clay work with kilns. And I, there's something about when you put it in the kiln that things can change, right? Uh, right. You have to understand the chemistry of what goes into the kiln and how heat affects it. Um, in in ceramics, we're working with silica-based glazes, uh, and silica is glass, so there is quite a bit of crossover. But glass is, is a unique art form uh, that is distinct from ceramics in many ways. So, so when it goes, when you put it in the kiln and bring it out again, is there an unpredictability to it, what you're going to get back? Yeah, there's a huge unpredictability to it, and that's what um, the learning curve consists of, is trying to predict what's going to happen. As opposed to ceramics, you have to anneal the glass, and you also have to heat it up uh, at a certain speed so it doesn't shatter as it's heating. You have to hold it at a certain temperature, and then on the way down, you have to hold it at certain temperatures to anneal the glass, which basically means that you have to give the various molecules time to kind of line up and take a position and uh, not create any stress in the piece. And in, in the process of doing this, you have to do it in such a way that there are no bubbles that develop because you've laid up your glass in such a way to trap air that it doesn't shatter as you're heating it, that it doesn't crack as you're cooling it, that the pieces of glass are compatible with one another or they will crack once it cools. You can also have problems that it'll change shape as you heat it up and you can change. You will change the texture and you can get um, what's called devitrification, which is a um, hazy surface to the glass as it 
is in certain temperature ranges. So there's a number of pitfalls to this. And when you put it in the kiln, you don't know uh, how well you're going to avoid all of those other than trial and error and experience. So... Um yeah, I, I think working with glass is a lot more similar to jewelry than ceramics, actually, with the oh. various heats and uh, various types of materials involved and the precision that's necessary. So with all that, I mean, were you self-taught? Did you just learn these things by uh, trial and error? Uh, did you learn from someone? Well, in the beginning, I, I was puttering around in my shop myself and uh, enjoying a lot of failure. <laughs> and after a couple of years, my wife took pity on me and sent me to a course in Portland, Oregon at the Bullseye Glass Company and uh, learned some of the basics that I hadn't known. And after that, things started working out. But I've gone to many classes, seminars, um, sometimes week-long retreats with other glass artists uh, discussing design or technique and um, learning new ways to manipulate the glass. But it took a long time, and it wasn't for about eight years that I made anything really good enough for it to really come out of the studio. Mm. Well, that's interesting. Um I think anytime somebody, you know, puts that amount of effort and years of work into something, it's it's impressive, you know, before you even get to the point where you can show it to anyone. Um, and, and what what was the time frame on that? Like, how long have you been in the in the phase where things are coming out pretty much the way you want them to? Well, I think st things started working out well in around two thousand and five. So, you know, 10, 15 years, I've been making things with some predictability that they are going to come out of the kiln somewhat close to what I had in mind. We also sometimes have surprises that are either happy surprises or sad surprises, but sometimes that helps you grow. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so you're one of the 10-year the overnight successes that we talk about a lot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. After about 10 years, I was an overnight success. I always love that perspective. Um, and I know a lot of your pieces, and we're going to put, we'll put some of these up on our Facebook page so people can see your work. Um, a lot of it has a very geometric, um, basic design, right? And then... And we're, we're sitting in your living room surrounded by some of these pieces, and there is a geometry, but there's also this organic factor, which is really interesting. So maybe within a geometric form, whatever you've done to the glass has produced some perhaps unpredictable but organic-looking result? Yes, I, I like to combine the chaotic element with the geometric element. I like to have angles of the piece show things that you might not see if you didn't engage with it and look at it and maybe even look underneath it or appreciate the edge or hold it up to the light. But this development of, of this style of mind combining the chaotic element with the rigid geometric element kind of occurred naturally. It wasn't something that I thought about and set out to do. And they say that you can't help but have who you are come out in your work. 
And so I, I would look at what I was making and trying to figure out why I was making it rather than it being purposeful that I'm trying to show some juxtaposition of these kinds of elements. And, and I think some of the best artwork is the stuff you don't really try that hard to put yourself into it. You just let it happen. And that's that's what happens with all these pieces. And in different times in my life in the last 25 years, the amount of the organic element versus the geometric element has changed. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really interesting that, uh, you know, they often say in the art world, you know, you need to get out of your own way. But that is kind of what allows that kind of personal, inexplicable stuff to come in if you always try to, um, you know, have a, a preconceived idea and everything. It's, you're, you're sort of taking, you're trying to organize something or control something too much, I think. Um, but, but at the same time, you must have to have a preconceived idea because they are so structurally perfect. Well, the, the creation of an individual piece it has to be planned out at every, every aspect of it has to be pre-thought out and some things affect other things. And if you're going to do this, you can't do that. And so, yes, the pieces are thought out, but the concept behind them is something that just may take me a few weeks of thinking that I just want to make something with a lot of red mm. and eventually the piece up comes out of that. Um, and sometimes they are because I've seen something, we've traveled, it's a certain time of year where certain colors are prevalent in our environment or are absent in our environment. And just I'll have a desire to make a certain kind of piece. But again, it's not that I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to turn maybe my feelings or my thoughts or uh, into this artwork. And uh, it's, a, it's an outlet for me that I really enjoy. And uh, I'm surprised sometimes how well these pieces do come out. I think most artists could say that. <laughs> it's sort of like, well, I made that, really? Um, yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of intu it's a intuition that goes into kind of narrowing down kind of the range of things that you want to play with and then but but you do need the structure to to actually form the piece and and you do need a starting point you know and it can be just as simple as i'm going to make something round it's going to be a bowl or a vessel of some sort and it's going to have blue and, and then you can work on it but you need a starting point because the the, the possibilities are infinite yeah, and that that was one thing that really attracted me to your to your work initially is that I spent some time working in ceramics and working in functional forms and the mix of it's a bowl and it's a sculpture was was really impressive to me um and and the fact that it was the uh um the kind of the blending of of form and function um and uh, in really really impressive and uh and beautiful ways um and you know, one thing that we talked about when we were deciding what we wanted to talk to you about was um, how these categories work in your work. Do you, do you see them as divided or do you see form and function as being um, uh, intricately entwined? 
Yeah, I, I see these really as all being um, uh, sculptural, but I like the bowl shape, and I'm not sure why. And again, I'm, I'm not going to overthink it. I enjoy making bowls. Um, I don't think I would be happy seeing these filled with spaghetti. Right. <laughs> Yet they're, they're a comfortable, familiar geometric shape. And I think people are drawn to them as well because it is a bowl, but it is also a sculpture. Yeah, I, I completely agree with with that kind of assessment of of a bowl, and it's it's the kind of piece that anybody is comfortable displaying. They don't need to think about where do I, how do I display a bowl? You know, you put it on your coffee table, or uh, you put it on any kind of flat surface where it's going to get the adequate light and the attention that it deserves. I just recently read a book where he was talking about things that become popular, and he was talking about the concept that you want things to be unique. People like to see things that's different, but not too unique. They wanted something that they're comfortable with. So a person is comfortable with a bowl. If, if I had the same design in some abstract shape that had no form or function within their lives, I think... It, people don't relate to it as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people need an entry point with abstraction, uh, whether it's a painting or whether it's an object, something that they can, you know, kind of, it's it's an entry point. It's a way to get their footing with and it. And I think I need that entry point too. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, speaking of abstraction, I was, I was very interested um, to... Uh, read or maybe it was in the little video about you. Uh, you said that most of these, uh, most of your ideas come from abstracting from nature, and I know it's something a lot of our listeners are interested in. We do have a lot of abstract painters that listen to the podcast. I'm an abstract painter. I abstract from nature, and it's it's an intriguing process because people look at it quite differently, um, and to see it in glass. And it's not necessarily obvious either because of the geometry of the pieces. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear you talk a little bit about that. Well, sometimes to me, it's the colors that uh, I am drawing from nature. And sometimes it's the mixture of colors and they will mean something to me. Sometimes the title of the piece will give away what I was thinking of, and sometimes it won't. Um, and, and there are certain color combinations that appear around us in nature that we look at those color combinations, and when you see it, it makes you think of that. Just I have a, a number of pieces with purple and green. They remind me of crocuses. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so I've got a couple of bowls called crocus, you know, because that color combination makes me think of spring and crocuses. It might make someone else think of something else. Um, and if I name the piece crocus, well, then it's kind of a giveaway, and I often do. But sometimes I don't and let people see what they want to see, even though I was thinking of something very specific. Well, in the organic aspect that you include in your work, I think that feels to me very uh, like rock-like or uh, maybe ripples in water or different ones that I've seen. There's a that organic quality. And even, you know, in the bigger picture of nature, we have structure um, in rocks. We have structure in the way things grow. 
and then we also have this kind of random beauty, which I think is is embodied in your work. Yeah, some of the very wild inserts that I have in my pieces are made by an interesting process. What we do is we take a, a flower pot in the kiln and and fill it with glass in it can be layered in different ways to get different effects. And you enlarge the hole in the bottom of the flower pot and you put it in the kiln up on stilts and you heat it up very hot to like 1700 degrees. And it starts pouring through the hole in the bottom and it will, just like the toothpaste that has stripes, take the colors of the glass that were in the pot and it will come out in this column which will then hit the kiln shelf and tar start to circle the way syrup would as you're dripping it on a plate. And it creates either these round rondelles of, of color, or I can also put it instead of in a um, flower pot into a, like a hammock of chicken wire. And it will drip through all the different interstices onto the shelf. And these drippings will then coalesce into a large circle of interesting blends of chaotic color, which I then will look at once it's cooled. And it may sit in my studio for five years and suddenly I'll have a project that needs that blend of swirly colors. It sounds like a lot of fun watching that happen. <laughs> and just, just to create these patterns and things and you know, just to experiment and play around. It sounds very interesting. Um, and one of the things I, I know you said you wanted to talk about, we're very interested in too, is um, your your day job, <laughs> and which is you're a general surgeon. Uh, and how that, like, what are the intersections there with your work? I mean, how does how does one feed the other or whatever you want to say about it, I think would be very interesting. Well, the thing that I think is a real parallel between surgery and kiln glass is that with kiln glass, you have to put it in a box, shut the door, heat it up, and predict what it's going to do, and then come back later, open the door, and see what you've got. Now, Painting is a little more incremental. There's not a point at which the painting is outside of your control other than the drying of the paints, which might change the color and the, and the reflectivity and texture a little bit. But this is a dramatic phase change when it goes in the kiln. Ceramics is similar. Cooking is similar. Yes. Surgery is the same process that we do surgery. We rearrange tissues. We sew things together. We remove things. But then the patient goes away to heal and comes back, and we have to predict what's going to happen six weeks from now when things are heal or healed or a year from now and perform our surgery with this future change in mind. Hmm. And so there's a lot of processes that aren't like that. Quilting is not like that. Basket weaving is not like that. Right. If you are... If you are sculpting something, it might or might not be, depending on whether you're doing something where you're then casting later. But so some, some, I'm used to the kind of process where you lose control of it and have to predict what it's going to do. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. And yeah. surgery and this are, are the same kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fascinating. I think, I mean, what I saw as the obvious connection was the precision 
of cutting things that you you have to do to create this work, but of I, I was not thinking about the the more random aspect. That's really very interesting. Well, and it's really interesting too because you wouldn't think of surgery as being like abstract art, but what you're describing in terms of your glass being very process driven as well as your surgery process is the exact same thing that we recommend to our listeners who are abstract artists is that you develop a process to create effects and then you trust that process and you do it over and over again and then you begin to understand how that can be predictable. Um, in Rebecca's work, she builds up layers over time and then she comes back in and removes material. So she has to be able to plan what that painting is gonna is is going to or not plan. Or not plan <laughs> but to but to trust that if she does things in a in a repeated fashion where she's building up layers and then removing them with solvents or with scraping, that she's gonna produce desired effects. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty interesting parallel. Um is there anything else that it comes to mind, like the, um, I don't know, the, the state of mind that you're in when you work or anything else that you feel like you're, you gain from uh, being a surgeon when you approach your work, the patients, anything else? I, I, you know, there are types of surgery that are very repetitive, that you're doing the same kind of sewing over and over on a patient or you're dividing and dissecting for hours on something trying to get a result. And this is, is similar. I, I, I sit there sometimes cutting strips of glass and I'm just very happy that I'm able to cut these strips of glass, that I'm doing it precisely, that it's a challenge. I just I just finished a bowl that had about 300 strips of glass. And to, you know, can I get 300 strips without breaking one? You know, and and get them all the same the same width and and length. And with surgery, you know, there's also a degree of precision that you're trying to achieve, and some of it is very repetitive. And um, they say that doing repetitive tasks is actually very relaxing, and you can kind of get into sort of a Zen state cutting strips of glass or polishing the edges of a bowl or, or sandblasting the surface. And, and it's repetitive, but it's, it can be soothing. And it, and, and it helps me because the stakes are not quite as high. <laughs> True enough. And, and yeah, but yes, they are similar processes. Yeah, I think, I think anyone uh, who, and even if you, even if your work is very, spontaneous and intuitive as you're doing it, most artists do experience also what you're talking about. No matter what we do, there's some aspect of our work that is repetitive, that is mechanical almost, um, that can be, it, it's, it's, an, it's a nice rhythm of going back and forth between the things that are uh, predictable or repetitive and the things that are not, which obviously for you is, you know, when it goes in the kiln and back out. Um, so it's this, it's a nice cycle, I think, to keep you, it keeps you very involved. And then there's the question of, of, of what, why are you doing it? And, 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 you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And for me, I've come to the conclusion that the process in itself is why I'm doing it. And to create an end product that is beautiful. I'm not trying to make a statement. I'm not trying to do anything other than create something beautiful 
that didn't exist before, that now exists in the world, and I enjoyed the process of making it. And maybe that's not a deep enough reason, but it's taken me a long time to come to that, that that is why I'm doing it. It may not be why someone else is doing their art, but it's really just to create something beautiful. Well, and I, I believe that the ability to create something beautiful and as, as unique as your work is, is deep. I mean, you may not have words for it, but it's coming from some, something deep to be able to do this. So I, I don't think one needs to say much more than that. <laughs> well, I'm, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the more refreshing artist statements I've ever yeah. heard, to be honest with you. And, uh, and, and I, I think that it actually reflects somebody who's been doing it for, for long enough to really understand what they're doing and why. You know, you're doing it because you love it. And, and I, I think that a lot of people try to um, add other meaning or other depth to their work that isn't necessarily necessary to, to what they're doing. Um, and that really, um, when you've been doing something for a long time, you have an appreciation for what you're doing in a, in a way that maybe when people are first starting out, they feel like they need to be doing this for some other reason than just because they love it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, I, I think we're just about coming to the end of our time. Um, anything else you want to say to kind of wrap things up or anything at the end? Oh, only that if you are not looking at pictures of my image, uh, images of my work while we're talking here today, you can go on my website, immermanglass.com, and there's uh, photos there and also on my Facebook page. Yeah, you definitely need to see this stuff. <laughs> and we, we'll be putting, uh, we'll put your website and we'll put photos as well. Well, that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Please make sure to check out squeegeepress.com, as well as www.rebeccacroll.com, and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>